Hello, hello, and welcome back to episode 10 of the Climate Champions podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Orr, and in this episode, I'll be talking energy usage and education with Linda Gonzatano. Linda is an educator in Broward County, Florida, where about 10 years ago, she launched the now statewide How Low Can You Go campaign. Prior to her career in education, Linda played college soccer at the University of Central Florida and was a member of the first ever U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. If our conversation today piques your interest, you can learn more about everything we're about to discuss in our show notes, which can be found at sportecology.org podcast. So first of all, thank you so much for joining for this interview. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm curious about how you went from women's soccer, trailblazing that path, you know, absolute leader in the field of soccer, especially for women, creating opportunities, and then shifted gears. You know, teaching is a very different experience, but again, you know, very people-facing, opportunity-creating, some of the same themes there. And then you created How Low Can You Go, which is just another trailblazing path in a totally different direction. So talk me through what motivated each of those steps and how you ended up where you are now. Wow. Okay. So start with soccer first. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it's going to sound really odd, but I had asthma really bad as a kid. And I said to my dad, as we were watching the Olympics, I said, dad, I want to be, I want to be in the Olympics one day. Wow. And this was like six or seven years old. We're watching the Olympics and my dad's like, okay, you know, so he heard, he heard that. And all of a sudden he put me into AAU track and then he had me swimming and he just didn't want me to be a victim to asthma. Wow. So everything from then on, he would have me dive in the pool. He would have me swim laps, holding my breath. He would have me blow up balloons and on and on and on. Right. And then I ended up going into swimming. And then uh, my parents got a divorce when I was 11, and my mom could no longer pay for my swimming lessons. So it was like, okay, soccer. Right. And my brother also played soccer, and we lived and breathed soccer in Coral Springs. They had, we were like six blocks from the park, and we would practice. We'd come home, eat from school, you know, eat, do our homework, and then we were up at the park from six to nine every night. And I was practicing and playing with the boys, you know, and... I got better and better. I ended up making the boys, the first girl to ever make the boys high school soccer team in the state of Florida. Wow. And then from there. And this uh, was when? Recruited. That was in 1979-80. Wow. Back when that really didn't happen. No, it didn't. And then sure enough, the next year, Title IX. And then that's when we did, that's when soccer was in probably every school, you know, across the country or most schools across the country. That's when it was more acceptable. And then got recruited by UCF from James Rudy. I ended up redshirting the first year, which was the best thing I could have done because the next few years was when women's soccer started to take off. And we were really good. I went from playing midfield to sweeper and I could read the game very, very well. Ended up getting as All-American, made the first U.S. select team. I think it was in 84. And the week before I was supposed to go, I ended up lacerated my kidney in the game. So I did oh not get a gosh. chance to, yeah, almost lost my kidney. But wow. then, um, yeah, and then the following year, I made the North, called the Olympic Festival team back then. Okay. And that was like 85. And I got MVP at the Olympic Festival. And the honor there 
was that some of the best players I'd ever played against were all playing for the South team and West team. And I ended up getting MVP for the whole Olympic festival. And I played for the North team and we didn't win one game. And, but we didn't lose every game. We tied and, and playing being sweeper and defense. That was my position was to make sure you weren't going to score, but I could read right. the game and, you know, and I guess it was the leadership and all that. And then at that Olympic festival, which was, we had no idea what was coming. They decided they get a call. They must've gotten a call from women's world cup and they picked the first U S women's national team in 1985. Right. And we went to Italy. They flew us in two weeks later, rushed our passports through. We all met CW post New York. And from there we flew to Italy, Milan, and then we traveled by bus to a place called Jezlo. Okay. And played games against other countries. And it was the first time that we knew we could play with the rest of the world. We just needed to come together, you know, and, and do what other countries were doing. We were playing on our college teams with no real national team training. Mike Ryan was our coach and, you know, he had training, but not, I feel at the level that, you know, you're going to take the national team. And the following year, I played for the North again, but in the second game of the, the tournament, I ended up going into a slide tackle and I lacerated my kidney. Again. So, I mean, I'm sorry, I tore my ACL. Okay. I tore my ACL. And yeah. that was kind of the end of uh, soccer because, I mean, way back then, I mean, they would flay your knee open going right down the middle and then you had a year recovery and they didn't have the rehab that they had nowadays. And I just chose not to play anymore. You know, it was time to move on and decided to get a teaching degree. Uh, I, that's what I studied at UCF anyways, and I was excited about teaching. And then I got very fortunate to land at a school uh, called Driftwood Middle School. I was there for a couple of years. And then a few years after that, we turned into, we selected to become a health and wellness magnet school. And that was kind of my career path. That was kind of my calling. And in 2008, 2007, I started taking a bunch of leadership classes. And um, we would, you know, it's just, you know, who are you? You know, where do you want to be? And it was kind of like transforming because I was just like, okay, yes, I'm a physical education teacher. Yes, I coach soccer. And I also coach volleyball. Wow. And I started taking these leader classes, leadership classes. I knew myself to be one that could make change and be a part of change, but I didn't know how to do it. And so I had taken, like I said, all these leadership classes. And then one day, I think it was 2008, during the summer, I was watching, or was this August or September, I was watching Oprah, and I saw Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. And I remember having a conscious thought saying, this is wrong. It's not supposed to be like this. Yeah. Something's happening to our environment. It, it's just I, I just started just started to peak my my awareness. I just started to see it like I'm like, this is not right. So I was in a self-expression leadership course, and I'm like, okay, I'm creating this green team at school with sort of three teachers and three students, and we started taking two initiatives. One was the dumpster diving team, where we started to to recycle way back in 2008, which really wasn't a big deal ten years ago. People were doing it, but it wasn't a big deal. And climate change wasn't, it was global warming then. And then I, in meditation, these, these visions or thoughts or whatever started, ideas started to come up in my head. And it was the How Low Can We Go Challenge. And we started to do little things with 
reducing our energy usage. How do we get it out? We would play games on teachers. We would put paw prints on doors at school. It says you've been chilled. And it, nobody wanted to have a paw print on their door, door you know, because they, that meant that you weren't, <laughs> you weren't in a climate or you weren't environmentally doing what you're supposed to be doing. And Oh, that's so and fun. Then it just be, yeah. So we started to reduce our energy usage and by 26%. And wow. I thought to myself, this is pretty awesome. And I was watching, I was really, really into the Miami heat mm-hmm. in 2012 or 11. And I'm watching and I'm like, they have an environmental program. Yeah. And Eric Woolworth, been, who's in charge of business operations, is in charge of it. So I thought, okay, let's get an environmental career day. So I reached out to Eric Woolworth and I asked if there was anybody that uh, would come and do a presentation on, envir- on the environment and sustainability for American Airlines. And they connected me with Jackie Ventura. Jackie Ventura is on the board for the Green Sports Alliance. And she's the sustainability person for the Miami Heat. So I presented the how low can we go? And she's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So I met with her at American Airlines Arena in 2012 before the big three really got going. And that's where it just took off. We went from a one-month pilot program with 35 schools to now we just finished it. I have 109 schools participating in the How Low Can We Go Challenge from Palm Beach, Dade, and Broward. And it's been very, we're in our season of the How Low Can We Go. And I was recognized by the White House in 2015 by the Obama administration for being a White House champion of change for climate education literacy. And I got to speak to people across the United States. They would tweet their questions in and I sat on a panel for an hour and answered questions about this model, about the environmental education, about just things. It's all about, you know, we can educate, but the most important thing is make it fun. Yeah. These kids already have academics, right? They already have it. And we want to add more stuff on top of their already busy academic world. But how can we turn education into an experiential fun way? So that that was how the green team really started doing the fun things with chilling the rooms. You know, we call it chilling the rooms, putting the paw on there. And they'd go in and leave... uh, audits on teachers' desk and making suggestions and then acknowledging them. And, you know, so it was just, it just became a game and it just took off. And let's see, where else did the hell look? Oh, I ended up doing a, another presentation. When I got on, I ended up meeting President Obama that year. I was invited to go to the Everglades for, to hear President Obama speak on the national treasure that the Everglades was. I was one out of 50 people and I got to meet President Obama. And he's incredible. You yeah, know? what a great and, experience. Oh, it was. What else happened then after that? This, oh, I was invited to also, it was called the White House Roundtable Discussion on Climate and Sport. Wow. And I okay. got to present. Yeah, we, I was there with NBA commissioners and for social responsibility and NFL and M- MLB and college collegiate people that are making a difference in the world as far as climate education is concerned and people from the Green Sports Alliance and just people that were moved by sports and climate education. And I got to present the how low can we go and I got to present the model because the model is 
kind of effortless. Do you need a cheerleader at certain school districts? Yeah. I mean, that's what I am. And we have them. We have a lot of them. It's just getting the sports teams to actually support the district, the district, the school district. If we can get the sponsorship like the Miami Heat, I think Jackie says it's like it costs the sports team about (laughs) $2,500. And what that is, it's nothing because what they give to the schools that win the winning school gets the transportation from their school to the game. They get recognized on the field, on the court, sorry. They get recognized on the court with a banner and plaque. The winning school gets approximately 40 tickets and they get a Miami Heat pep rally and we've had different sponsorships. So it really doesn't cost the teams a lot of money to, to really get out there and have the individual schools. The individual schools actually come up with their own ways of conservation you know, inefficiency. And my students right now are working on an app. It's going to be the How Low Can We Go app where any kid in a classroom could evaluate the teacher (laughs) and give her points on what's going on in the classroom. Yeah. And they can also take it home. And and each, like, like each thing, like a cell phone would have a certain amount of kilowatts pulls a little bit of, you know, certain energy usage. And kids would be able to rate that and they'd give points and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so that, and then Jackie Ventura with the Green Sports Alliance, she actually presented in Japan last year. She presented the How Low Can We Go as a model. Fantastic. Yeah, and then the National Wildlife Federation wants to get on, get involved and see if they can sponsor it because they've got partnerships with several different pro teams in the country. So my challenge is, is to get it to the individual teams, get to the owners or the people that make the, you know, the decisions to sponsor a program like this. and then go in an ideal world, I would love to be able to bring two people that I know that are really committed to like food recovery and water. I would bring them with them, with me and do presentations across the country to be a consultant. That's what I would love to do. Right. You know, still educating, still very passionate with sports, you know, my sports background. I, I think as an athlete, we play a huge role in who we get to be in the world, you know, by role models and we have a platform, we have an opportunity to have a voice and people look up to us to be a certain way, say a certain thing, and they want to hear what we're all about. Right. And so there's responsibility there. Yes, there is. There really is. And, you know, as a 20 year old, you don't really get that. But at 50, I I get that. Right. You know, I I get that. Got to walk the talk. And I think integrity is really, really important with who and what we say and what we think in everyday life. Yeah. You know, and if it doesn't align, it doesn't matter what you want to happen in the world. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Everything has to align with who you say you are, what you think, what you do, you know, your actions and, and what the world can see you. Even when the doors are shut, what are you doing behind closed doors? You know, do I have energy conservation at my home? Yeah. My electricity bill isn't usually over $40 a month. I mean, I live in South Florida, so... Yeah, you know, so it's living and breathing what I preach. And yeah, that's it so far. (laughs) I don't know where it's going to go from here. Yeah. And so you touched on a few things and I want to pick them up Mm because I think they were super interesting. One of the things that, you know, the general public doesn't hear about those meetings that are happening at the White House and the stuff that's happening with, you know, a behind closed doors meeting of the minds, so to speak. And so those opportunities tend to be very exclusive, like you said, you know, 50 people, very small or or whatever it is. How do we make that known? How do we get that message out there that this is happening? It is taken seriously in different circles. And 
how can we communicate to the world that the sport community cares about this, they're involved, and they want you to care too? Well, I think it's up to the individual teams, like uh, the Trailblazers. They've got a huge sustainability program. The Miami Heat, uh, if you go into their mission statements, I think it is there. I think it is there. The NBA is, the environmental piece is, it's an interesting topic right now. I'm not sure if there's a lot of pro athletes or really well-known athletes that want to put their name on it yet, right? And why is that? Some of them have. I think they're just afraid. Okay. I don't think they I don't think they really understand what it means to be like an earth hero or an eco hero or whatever. But you do have some. You do have some. I know Josh Richardson from the Miami Heat. I mean, his little symbol, he's got a little recycle symbol on there. Heard his interview and I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's one. Yeah. You know, but it's being able it's it's I think what's missing and I told the Green Sports Alliance, I think you need to educate the agents. Interesting. You need to educate the agents because the agents are the ones saying no to things yeah. before it even gets to the athlete. And unless your athlete is, you know, really vocal and is environmental, if the, if the agent doesn't know the athlete and knows what they're passionate about, they're going to say no before, you know, if I make an invite to say for Alex Morgan, right? It's, it can't even go to Alex. Right. It's got to go to her agent first. It's it's about supporting each other, right? And what we believe in. I could find somebody in that room that could be a Megan Rapino mm-hmm. or an Alex Morgan that are extremely passionate about the environment. Right there, I go. I have a partnership. Right. The thing is, is we don't know that until we get to know people. And I think a lot of times relatedness is is missing. Really, what lights you up? I didn't know the environment lit me up until I saw that. Yeah. And then everything I live and breathe today is is coming from that inconvenient truth moment right from 2008 till now 10 years later and i'm also curious you know i often hear and and even just on this podcast show i've heard three different guests say that recycling is the gateway drug to sustainability which i think is kind of cute but you chose to go in a different direction and you chose to make energy the focus of your project which i think is really cool because especially with kids i think that can be a difficult one to communicate you know, this is how, this is the impact of your energy usage and here's how to reduce it. How have you gotten that message across to kids? Well, it's just, you know, just educating them and say, look, it's an energy vampire. Whatever's plugged in the wall is going to pull energy. (laughs) It doesn't matter if it's off or not. It's going to pull energy. Right. And these are the easiest things we can do at home. Turn it off and unplug it. Bottom line. The easiest thing that, that I can do that doesn't, doesn't re- it doesn't rely on anybody else, like recycling, right? If I recycle that bottle, it has to get from n- to where I'm putting it. Now, where is it going to go? Is it really going to end up in the recycle plant or is it going to end up in the landfill? I don't know that, but I do know that I can unplug whatever it is that I need to. I need to turn off the lights and I get to see what my kilowatt usage is at the end of the month. Yeah. Period. It's, it's, it's simple. It's simple. And I'm really passionate about renewable energy. I, I love solar. I love the idea of wind turbines. Just being able to capture free energy. Right. It's there. You know, hydroelectric. Hydroelectric, you have constant waves. Yeah. Nothing's going to shut down those waves. Yeah. And the wind is going to blow. The yeah. sun is going to shine. And we're not capturing it. And we're relying on fossil fuels, things that is just dirty. Yes, I have a car that does it, but my car is also 10 years old. Right. Right. 
I'd still use his gas. And I, I, I would look forward to having a Tesla. I would look forward to being able to have a car that runs on purely electric or even an, another alternative, you know, source of, of energy if, if yeah. it's out there. Yeah. You know, I'm totally open to that. Why we're not going in that direction, I know it's political and I know it's based on money and and it's 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 coming. I mean, you listen right. to these kids, my kids at the school the other day. They know. Oh, yeah, they do. And that Greta Thornburg from Sweden, the little girl, the 15-year-old that spoke up, if you want to Google her. Yeah, Nobel Peace Prize Nash- yes. nominee. Yeah. She's got Asperger's disease. I mean, she's syndrome. She's She hardly spoke at all. Yeah. She was invisible. And now she's up for this. And kids from all, they're inspired and moved. My kids, I have at least 40 kids out there. Yeah. You know, with signs and stuff like that. And that's the way it's going to It's coming. It's coming. That's all I'm saying. It's coming. What I think is so fantastic about this youth movement that's happening, A, that it's youth, I think is so cool, but B, that they've made it so simple. You know, like they've taken all the politics out of it. They've taken all of the money issues and the excuses and boiled it down to, we will not have a future worth fighting for if you don't fight for it right now. And when you pull out all the excuses and all the stuff and all the history and you really just get down to the message to hear it from kids being so, so clear, I think it's been a bit of a wake up call for adults everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And their kids are coming home saying things to leaders and stuff, you know, if they're, they're going home and they're like, mom, come on, dad, come on. You know, this yeah. is, they're educating and they're going to be, I mean, we're looking at, let's just say five to, I'm even going to go out there five to 10 years from now. They're going to be making policies. They're going to be voting. They're going to be out there in the, in the workforce. So it's time. It's coming. 